Hi, Steve. Uh, welcome back. And um, what I did uh, right before the show, I just opened the Payara Fish website. And the first thing what I see is 275% of commercial support growth. And uh, it's just, it seems like you are really doing well. So since last time, I found some of my friends from Java eSpecs working now from Payara. So uh, how Payara is doing? Payara is doing very well. Uh, we're, like I said, we, we're growing uh, pretty rapidly. We're about 60 70% revenue growth year on year and uh number of customers is growing quite quickly getting more and more staff i think we're about 30 people now and uh we've got a great team and we've got a great vision of you know where pyro server and pyro micro and jakarta ee and, and those things need to go in the future so we're set up to uh to have a very long runway we are funded purely by customers we have no venture capital so uh, as long as customers keep paying for our software support, then we can carry on and, and drive forward Jakarta EE you know, for a long time. And this is actually incredible because what it basically means that uh, your 30 employees are founded by commercial support uh, of Payaro, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, this is actually very good news. Well, what it actually means that... Um, Java, e, Jakarta, e, and MicroProfile are far less more or far more popular than one might think, right? Yeah, that, you know, they are very popular. There's still a lot of uh, people using Jakarta EE, MicroProfile, Java EE. Uh, you know, all the hype, you know, the Silicon Valley hype around all the things that are cool around Kubernetes and microservices and all that stuff takes a long time to work its way through, you know, big organizations. So they're still using uh java e and obviously there are also a lot of traditional applications out there uh, those applications don't need any of those technologies and those applications are still very much focused on building you know java e, e jakarta e applications to serve you know to serve the needs of the of those uh different types of applications and not, and not everything is a is a big internet scale application this is uh, interesting what you're saying because uh, in, in my world, most of my clients are actually running a kind of Kubernetes and Docker and microservice, and they are still using uh, Payara and Java. So what I see more right now is a combination of Kubernetes, OpenShift, uh, Docker, and Java. This is also what you see or uh, you, you are running on bare metal mostly? We see both. So we've done a lot of work to get... You know, I mean, one of the things that we, we did when we set up uh, Pyara was one, obviously, to take take support for Glassfish application server. But the other goal, really, was to take uh, Java EE developers onto new platforms. So, obviously, Java EE's development uh, API is, has been very successful and, has, and, and will be very successful in the future. What we wanted to do was take people onto new architectures and new platforms. So we've done a lot of work to support Kubernetes uh containers and docker and cloud platforms as well so we're seeing we're seeing both really we're seeing kubernetes and docker as a as an infrastructure platform uh, and then deploying you know, java ee applications on top of that both in full server and in micro and then similar to that we're also seeing uh a cloud adoption as well but there's still many many people that you know deploy into traditional data centers 
or you know we we have customers from many 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 different uh verticals so we've got people building manufacturing systems that are going to go out on factory shop floors and they'll be running you know within uh traditional server hardware as well yeah um this is also what I never understood because Kubernetes or Docker for me is, is not a programming model. So you cannot just you know, run a Docker or Kubernetes application. So you will have to do something inside. I mean, you, you need a programming language, you, you need something. So this is not that different to what was before. And for me, the programming model from uh, MicroProfile, Jakarta and Java, they are, they are actually very productive. So um, with... Um, with Jakarta or MicroProfile, we get a productive and proven programming model, which can be run on bare metal or Kubernetes, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, to, to so support Kubernetes actually doesn't take a lot, like a lot of effort, uh, like because it's very much of an infrastructure type technology. It's not a programming model in its own right. The only thing you need to do is understand the sort of uh, immutable nature of containers and, and and build that into your runtime so that you can move uh, from one environment to another you know and uh, support support that so it's not the programming model that has to change it's more the runtime ourselves so they say java ee microprofile is very productive to build uh, applications that can run within uh, kubernetes infrastructure and that could be uh doesn't have to be a microservices application to obviously to run in a in a kubernetes infrastructure exactly. but what we had to do sorry can, yep uh yeah uh because if you consider kubernetes in particular so actually what would the only thing would what, what, what is different is what you would have is, is like the key value pairs called dc deployment configs are stored in a yaml file and uh and the um payara could just understand you know the configuration which, which already happens natively so payara can resolve the variables in the config xml and the micro profile can even provide you the the key value pairs via injection and um and there's also um uh think kubernetes thing is like the cpu cpu and memory requests and 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 maximum um where uh, but this is more like you know the java se thing and less like application server thing so uh, what, what I'm interested in now, what you did in particular, you know, to support Kubernetes better? It's basically what you said there. So we did work, so we've done a few things and we've done some of the latest release as well. I mean, so what first thing was to externalize config and read that configuration from, uh, config, you know, from Kubernetes or essentially get it, get it provided by Kubernetes through secrets directory or through environment variables. And what we did was we externalized things like uh, JDBC URLs, JDBC usernames, passwords, uh, connect strings, anything that you know that would change from environment to environment. We supported variable replacement within the deployment descriptors for like data sources, etc. That's one thing we did, mm -hmm. and that that allows the, the user's application to be able to you know fire up and move between pre-prod and prod or whatever. The other thing we did was uh, we we basically changed our clustering so that it could discover other nodes. So to create a cluster or a data grid within Pyora, you need to know where the other uh, in nodes are, the other instances of Pyora running. So we've extended 
our cluster discovery mode to include looking up Kubernetes service so that you could use a Kubernetes service name to find the other instances of uh, Pyara and then cluster them together. Mm -hmm. So that's that's another thing that we've done. And then as we move into later releases, uh, there's a couple of customer requests that we've got. One is to start to sort of extending the application server domain mode to support nodes running within Kubernetes itself. So the latest release has some first cut functionality whereby uh, a Pyara instance can run in a Docker node. Sorry, in a Docker container, and Pyara, the admin server, can talk to Docker to start and stop that server. And as we go further on and build on that functionality, that will support dynamic instances and can also do some work around uh, maintaining a certain number of containers running Pyara and allow it to scale up and scale down. So we can take some of that functionality that may be provided by Kubernetes and uh, allow the DAS to actually visualize those servers. And one of the other requested features from customers was... Wait a second for this, but this is really interesting. So as you said, this would be like um, a small Kubernetes replacement, a part of the, um, of this, of the scheduler. And uh, what this would mean is uh, we could get, you know, a, let's say, a Java API to control nodes, Payara nodes dynamically on Docker, right? Yeah, that, 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 if you didn't have Kubernetes, you could do that. That, that would be, so basically we introduced a Docker node type into Pyara, which Pyara has node types of like SSH and things. We've introduced a Docker node and it does, the admin server can start and stop those containers on, on any machine that has Docker on it. Because then we could, for instance, uh, create a dynamic scalability based on some business metrics, right? Yes. Uh, that, that's not there yet. That's the plan, was to be able to create dynamic scalability based on that. This is actually uh, a feature which I, uh, which I didn't thought about. It's like you know what the application servers are, are able to do is just to, to, uh, to start and stop instances. What they usually did with uh, Pyara's domain server and and WebLogic also did it uh, back then. And uh, what I remember, there was a demo Java one a presentation probably ten years ago. Before Java 7, it was supposed to to be, you know, the uh, cloud uh, Java E edition, and they already did a demo with the old Glassfish 3, I think, where they were able to dynamically start and stop instances without Docker. You remember that? I do remember. I was actually there. Yeah, I remember that. And they were using the Sun Cloud as was. Well, so that never got released. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's sort of similar to that, and I mean the other thing that we need to do is obviously the DAS needs, one of the advantages of an application server is a managed runtime. So I'm a great believer in managed runtimes and what they can do for developers. So the other thing we'll be able to do is obviously, you, you even if you just you know ignore the DAS starting and stopping instances, what you do want to do is have visibility into that server and what's happening within it. So we'll be extending sort of the monitoring and the visibility of what's happening within the, your application within a Docker container through the DAS, through mm -hmm. the domain admin server. So what you could also do uh, is, for instance, aggregate as an additional feature, you know, the microprofile metrics, because right now every node would emit, you know, uh, isolated set of metrics. With that, you can actually aggregate them, right? Yeah, exactly. We could aggregate them. We can do, we can do tracing across them. 
so we could graph them and, and you know and collect them all as a central point so it's basically extending what would be the normal domain architecture but into the infrastructure that is docker and kubernetes Just, uh, mm -hmm. so what yeah. One other one that was requested by customers is the if running up Java in pods. Is that sometimes Java will, uh, you know, go away? The pod won't crash, but the application will become very unresponsive. So another feature that customers have asked for is that, you know, when 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 a Pyora instance is running in a pod or a container, that it basically indicates to the admin server that it's still alive through a heartbeat through the data grid. And so we've got heartbeat monitoring in there, but we haven't got the point where uh, basically the DAS would kill that pod off so that Kubernetes could potentially manage the life cycle of it, but the DAS would be monitoring and monitoring and managing the sort of health and metrics within it. Actually, you could even extend Kubernetes by providing like a Payara DAS operator for it, right? Yeah, you could do, yeah. Yeah, this, actually, this is, uh, you know, a true innovative stuff. <laughs> this is really, uh, yeah, this is a really interesting idea, I have to say. Uh, it's really interesting. And uh, what I want to ask you, um, you are talking about the cluster. So the question is, why we actually need still clusters in uh, Payara? So because uh, traditionally, you know, back then, uh, the uh, um, HTTP session and stateful session were clustered, but this is, you know, uh, I think there is no more use cases for that. So uh, what are you are clustering right now? Uh, you said there's no use cases. I mean, what what are the use cases for clustering, really? Uh, they are just bringing data close to uh, the processing. So, IRS basically has a full data grid built into it, so it gives you the ability to do that. You don't have to do it. Yeah. So, uh, what what was so what cluster means right now for you is distributed cache, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to, as opposed to. Uh, was failover and, and things yeah. like uh, BGBs or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah but traditionally clustering meant, you know, smart proxies, which uh, got the uh, view from the application servers about the IP addresses, and the smart proxy uh, was the load balancer. So this was traditionally what J2E clustering meant. Yes. Now, that's an interesting point. So is that use case gone? Uh, because you could put it through a load balancer and things for HTTP, but then that's another thing to manage. It would be possible to create a smart cluster on the JAX RS client side, sorry, smart proxy on the JAX RS client side, especially within uh, the current microprofile REST client API, which is actually tending towards uh, almost the EGB client API in the sense that it's uh, type safe. Yeah. So, so it's, it's actually possible to resurrect that on the REST model and actually have a type, have a smart proxy on the REST client side that could do load balancing yeah. through a cluster without load balancers. So exactly. What I said is, you know, the old EJB uh, use case is probably gone because this, um, you know, Corva and IOP remoting was replaced by JAXRS. But now we have JAXRS. And in your world with uh, the, uh, you know, semi-Kubernetes like Payara, you could use, uh, you could uh, actually in, uh, instrument the JAXRS client to provide the runtime information, so you get a load balancing through JAXRS, right? Yeah, the JAXRS client can look up a Kubernetes service name, get all the endpoints, and actually load balance them itself. Yeah, because right now in OpenShift, I do something similar, but uh, how it works is you get the logical name, 
of the service, and then there is uh, the the load balancer provided by 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 OpenShift or Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah. So you could do either. I mean, because yeah. you could you can actually let's say look up the service and actually just find all the endpoints where that REST API is, is hosted and load balancing yourself without an additional mm-hmm. infrastructure. Mm-hmm. If and, that was needed. Mm-hmm. And how are you doing this with Kubernetes? Are you using a native API or the REST uh, API from Kubernetes? Uh, to find out the services and the uh, where the nodes are running, I believe we're using the REST API. Okay, mm-hmm. I didn't write that piece. Uh, no, no. But one of the things we one of the things we try to do is minimize dependencies. Yeah. So I imagine we'll be using the REST API raw uh, rather than bringing in a Java API because that will probably bring in a lot of other things that we don't want into the application server. A lot of transitive dependencies. Okay. So, so but- a lot of the time we do this thing raw. Okay, so uh, basically, if you are mentioning clusters, what you usually mean is uh, uh, caching, uh, distributing caching, yeah. or, or distributing yeah, that's grids. what we call it. Mm-hmm. That's what we call it, data grid now. Data grid, okay. And yeah, because is... we split, we split in Pyro five the concept of clustering apart. We created deployment groups, mm-hmm. which is a unit of target. Mm-hmm. So another reason what clusters were used for was to obviously target a deployment to say put it across these five servers in a cluster. In quotes. Mm-hmm. So we have deployment grid, which is basically distributed cache across all instances in the domain by default. So you don't care where your data is being stored. You don't need to have it in a cluster. Mm -hmm. And then deployment group, which is I have this group of servers and we want and I want to deploy this application to it. Mm -hmm. So we split those two concepts apart now. So we have deployment groups in the data grid. Yeah, perfect. So that's that's also interesting. Uh-huh. And this uh, deployment group is what you can do. You can deploy to one server and the, the deployable is distributed to all other servers, right? Yeah. So you basically, when you deploy an application, you target a deployment group and all the servers in it will get that application. Mm-hmm. And you could take a server that's running, modify it, put it in the deployment group, and then it would deploy all the other applications that, that are targeted to that group. So you can take them in and out of groups, which is something you couldn't really do with clusters. Mm-hmm. So, you, so the idea would be longer term is if you know if you if you follow Kubernetes to its logical thing. I mean, Kubernetes should be an infrastructure for you know managing thousands of nodes. You don't build like a single application that is just one Kubernetes cluster. So mm-hmm. the idea would be if you've got a lot of PyR instances uh, running on on a lot of pods, then you could take one of the instances and change what deployment group it's in and it would get all those applications and it would deploy them yeah this would be a, a, a no replacement of a docker image right a particular docker images docker image loaded with thin war and pyr on top of it right yeah 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 okay also interesting so what else you did on top of playing java so what is the added value let's say of pyr full and pyr micro uh so i mean we are trying to stay pretty straight on the actual APIs that we support, but mm-hmm. both PyRF Server and PyRMicro support both MicroProfile and Java EE or Jakarta EE as will be mm-hmm. applications. Mm-hmm. And that's our attention is to keep that. There's no reason, you know, it depends on what the groups do, whether they split or merge or stay apart. It doesn't really matter from our, our customer point of view because we'll support both APIs. Mm-hmm. The rest of the stuff that we concentrate on really is to Take advantage of an application server as a managed runtime. Mm-hmm. So I sort of mentioned that we see great value in managed runtimes. So a lot of the work we're doing is really on the server itself rather than APIs. And it's to visualize and 
give a developer insight into what's happening within their application. Obviously, Java EE microprofile, they abstract a lot. Uh, there's a lot of magic annotations and things like that. So what we want to do is basically take advantage of, the, of us being the code of the application server to, to visualize a lot of what's going on. So what we've built, we built uh, request tracing into it. So every request that goes through the server is getting monitored. And if it exceeds a threshold, then we can log that out with all the events that occurred. So, you know, which EGBs were called, which servlets, which you know, CDI beans, any outbound calls, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And also to monitor what's happening within the database, uh, how, how and why your application may deploy, trying to take a long time to deploy. So we're building a lot of that sort of infrastructure. And the next couple of releases, we're going to see a lot of that visualized within the administration console. So we have a lot of the internals built. Uh, what we need to now do is actually make it much easier for a developer to see that information. Which is very important, I think. So you no know, nice diagrams and graphics, they, they make a huge impact. Um, yeah. To tell you a short story, it was uh, back then, as the Hystrix was still available. So I was in Java user group. And a consultant came to me afterwards and say, okay, uh, what I really do is um, I create a lot of Hystrix diagrams. And I say, do you really need them? Say, no, but they look more professional and I can pay something or I can, um, I can you know, charge my client something. And they really like, you know, nice graphics. But it was like, how do you use them? I'm not using them all, but they are really nice. <laughs> and this was like, it's like, okay, this is a, um, also interesting take, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, but yeah, um, it's that it's that visualization of what's going on. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you probably shouldn't you shouldn't need in like an APM tool to see what's going on in the application server. Uh, the application server should be providing all that information for you. The APM tool should be the next level up, really. That's that's you know aggregating that information and presenting it potentially across historically across many you know many servers and many many calls, but. From a runtime point of view, we should be providing that information. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know whether you are uh, still aware of it. I created a tool 10 years ago called Lightfish back then. And yeah, I remember, yeah. Yeah, and uh, in one point of time, I got lots of commits. I wondered why it is so popular, who, who contributes uh, lots of code. And it, and it turned out that the Canadian government used you know, the Lightfish to monitor the server instances because they wanted to replace an APM tool. So, um, right. absolutely. So, having something built in is, is very important for me. And um, also, you know, you can get um, more, how does that, context-sensitive, sen you know, metrics. If you, the longer you wait, uh, the harder it is to find out what actually really happens inside the application, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we want to be able to detect what's going on and, you know, provide guidance. Uh, one of the things we see a lot of is uh, applications that suffer from, I suppose, suffer from Maven, really, bringing in lots and lots of transitive dependencies. So one of the things we're building is a deployment analyzer to say, hey, you know, you've got all this stuff in here. Half of it's in the server already. Uh, and, and, you know, and provide guidance like that about what to take out and what to, to make it more, to make it faster. Yeah, and to make deployment faster, and uh, and sort of guidance on how, what what to avoid scanning and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, yeah. This is you know also my opinion. So first, you know, use Java SE, then Java E, and then if something lacking, then you know 
uh, take a look at third-party dependencies that do not start, you know, to uh, to find something exciting on the internet and include it to your war. It usually causes trouble over time. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just as a, I'm helping uh, sort of another open source project migrate onto Pyara at the moment, and you know their WAR file is 250 megabytes in size, yeah. uh, and which is which is almost twice the size of the, or three times the size of Pyara Micro. So, but it's a lot of it's transitive dependencies that are you know, difficult to to remove. You know, it's a lot of Maven excludes and things like that just yeah, to yeah. get rid of stuff. Yeah, that's been pulled in. Mm-hmm. Um, including Zalan and Xerxes, which shouldn't have been there for a decade, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> what um, what I did uh, for a startup, actually, I don't know whether you uh, are aware of my GitHub project called Payara S2I. You saw that? Yeah. And um, and and what they they asked me is, you know, how to have uh, Jenkins pipeline and repeatable builds. And there was a they already knew Glassfish, and they asked me, you know, what is my opinion about Pyra Micro? And I said, okay, uh, for me, it's like Pyra Micro optimized Pyra full, but if you already know Glassfish well, so um, just go with the uh, with the Pyra, because it's like, you know, uh, Glassfish on steroids, so it's patched Glassfish, and it will be pretty much the same, and um, then, you know, the question how to configure uh, like data sources and uh, Postgres JDBC drivers on on Payara. So okay, so OpenShift has is like the S2I image. So uh, w- what I will do is to create a a builder which will uh, where you can put you know the pre and post uh, boot command scripts and the client yeah. could you know uh, just just add as admin commands. So they what they actually the migration was very easy. They just you know took them uh, their um, as admin commands and and just uh, check check them in and, and this this basically was so was it the right choice you know to use the Pyara full or would you say Pyara micro would be would be a better choice because uh, in in my eyes is that the Pyara full is a little bit more popular still because of course it's completely based on glassfish and and uh, my idea was if they have you know particular questions so the they will find easier answers uh, on Stack Overflow without my help than for Pyara Micro. So this was the actually the the basic thinking. So um, was something wrong with my decision, or you get, I get some support from your side? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that decision at all. Uh, Pyara servers you're designed to also run within containers and uh, container platforms as well. Uh, Pyara servers obviously supports more APIs than Pyara Micro, mm-hmm. and therefore can be used quite happily within uh, a container environment like that. Did, I assume that you strip out the admin, the admin WAR and things like that. So, I mean, it depends on what people want to use. So, Pyara server, I mean, as we go forward, Pyara server is targeted at uh, a traditional application server topology have an administration server and uh, a bunch of managed servers mm-hmm. whether that's running on docker or kubernetes or bare metal doesn't really matter that's that's how we'll, we'll go so if you need that sort of model and you're only going to run maybe you know two three four servers uh, or you know then that that's the right sort of uh runtime to use and you want to have an administration server to look at them. That's how we would recommend Pyora server. 
mm-hmm. saying that is nothing stopping people uh, dropping them into you know multiple DASs, which you know other customers do. Mm-hmm. You know, a single administration server, not in a domain uh, within a container. That's essentially what Pyara Micro is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Because with uh, Pyara Server, if you you know a starter. A developer, you could even expose on Kubernetes the port 48 and 48 for in development uh, stage. And then you could even, you know, play with the administration console and then copy down the config XML. So at the beginning, it could be more pragmatic, right? Yeah, you could do that. You could do that. You could do that for a long time. And like I say, as we go further on, then you could have a DAS running in, in one Docker container and a bunch of managed instances in another and be able to visualize them and see them. Yeah, but in one point, it, of, it, one point of time, it will contradict the immutable infrastructure idea where, where uh, the runtime does not change. So this is, this is the point. But at the beginning, it could be very helpful, you know, to, to have a visual console where you can just, you know, uh, configure whatever you like and download the uh, domain XML. And then you know re- rebuild the Docker image and push it again to the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that, there's, there's nothing wrong with that model at all. I mean, as time goes on, Pyro Micro is going to go more towards the you know pure microservices runtime, where it just runs on its own uh, within a container and has no concept of of other servers mm-hmm. uh, and how you would manage them. Mm-hmm. So. As time goes on, that will go. That will sort of heavily focus on that use case. Mm-hmm. And how compatible are they? I, I just could basically, you know, take the um, configuration from Pyara Full and apply, reapply in Pyara Micro, right? At the moment, yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty compatible. If it was just for the, you know, you're just monitoring the, you're just modifying the effectively admin servers config, the server config. Yeah. Then you could take that and drop it onto Pyara Micro. Yeah, so if someone you know comes from Glassfish and uh, already knows Glassfish well, then uh, the idea would be you know start with Pyara Server, and then if you are confident what you are doing, just you can migrate over to Pyara Micro, for instance. Yeah, that 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 you could do that, and Pyara Micro, Pyara Micro doesn't full support the full set of uh, APIs, but it supports most of them. Yeah, and uh, what uh, what. In, in my eyes, what uh, actually would speak against the decision to run Pyara uh, full in the clouds is the attack surface, right? Because the Pyara Micro doesn't have the admin console. Um, no. Th- there is uh, less stuff exposed, right? Yeah, it doesn't have the admin port exposed or anything like that. So there's no way you can yeah. uh, remotely run commands on it or anything like that. But on the other hand, on Kubernetes or Docker, you will have explicitly exposed the port 4848. So this is it. It, it won't be available per default. You will have to do something with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so from, I, I would say from, from runtime perspective, I would say both are comparable, right? If I would launch Pyra Micro and Pyra Full, and, and in Pyra Full, I wouldn't start uh, localhost 4848, so the admin console won't be loaded because it's lazy, then the runtime, my observations are very similar, right? Yeah, they're very similar. I, there, I mean, there is a different boot cycle. Uh, Pyro Micro doesn't run on top of OSGI, which uh, Pyro Server does, so there's no OSGI in there. Uh, that's the only other real difference from a pure runtime mm-hmm. perspective. How much memory could we save just running, you know, Pyra Micro or Pyra Pyra Server? Do you have something? 
how many megs? Uh, Pyara Micro can run in you know tens of megs, whereas Pyara Server it doesn't. It's not huge, but it, it probably needs a hundred, a couple hundred megabytes. Mm-hmm. Because uh, what I did, I measured the Pyara Micro heavily, and an idle cycle it just consumes almost nothing. It's like you no know, sixty-four megs or something. This uh, Pyara yeah, exactly, full. Yeah. And uh, the micro is even smaller, but if you, you know, if Payara full already comes with 64 megs, so what you can save is just the 64 megs. So, um, if you yeah, have... it's not, it's not a vast difference. And Payara server is really light anyway. Uh, I think that's, that's people forget. They think it's going to be much more heavyweight, but it's not actually. It's actually the, the actual kernel code is identical, other than the fact that there's no OSGI. So there's a bit of OSGI overhead in Payara server, which isn't there in Payara micro. But um, both of them are, you know, which pushing to be smaller and leaner. So, uh, I don't know whether you remember, but uh, I would say fi- five to ten years ago, regardless, uh, when I said something a slightly, I would say, how to call it, uh, less, um, slightly less optimistic um, against um, OSGI, I got about, you know, 100 comments on my blog, like, how you dare, you know, OSGI is the technology from future and uh, you can create, you know, modules and now you are removing OSGI from from the server, right? Uh, in micro, yes, <laughs> not necessarily from the server itself. Yeah, but 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 it's interesting, right? No one speaks about OSGI anymore, right? Uh, we still get some uh, issues raised, mainly on on open source, about deploying OSGI modules into into Pyara server. But I, I don't think we see it in any customers. No, but I mean in general. There's like no, there are almost no, no, no more talks about OSGI. There is no articles. The OSGI is like completely silent, right? Uh, I'm not, no, I'm not following. I don't follow the OSGI thing, so it doesn't doesn't pass, pass my timeline that much. No, no, uh, it it passed my timeline a lot back then because uh, there was a like you know the fight uh, between OSGI and Chicksaw back then. Uh, and also modularization in Java E. So I got a lots of, I don't know why, I got lots of, you know, requests and my opinion about OSGI as I was completely involved or so. I had, I never, I, sometimes I had to use OSGI in projects, but usually I, I didn't. And, um, but still was involved. But right now it's silent. It's, it's interesting. Okay, but... Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Power Server only uses OSGI as a module system. It doesn't use any of the other capabilities of OSGI you know, around services and things like that. So hence, it, you know, in Pyora's, it actually uh, just uses it as a way to, you know, make sure that all the modules have the right versions and things. Mm-hmm. And Which uh, is why it can be stripped out from micro. It doesn't really affect anything else. Mm-hmm. And also the uh, startup time is um, also comparable. I would say Pyra Micro probably starts, you know, one second faster, a little, also a little bit faster, but it's not a, like a huge difference, right? No, because it's, you know, startup time is not particularly slow anyway. Yeah. yeah this so, is, yeah. And this is why, you know, a little bit, I was always a little bit against the Payara Micro because uh, on projects and conferences, um, there was like expectation like Payara Micro is, you know, the runtime you have to use in microservices, so leaner, faster, and whatever. And was always my impression, it was assumed that the Payara full is slow, bloated, which was never the case, actually. So it was like the completely wrong perception what Payara Micro actually is and what Payara Full is. And um, I would understand if someone says, okay, look, you know, you don't need the uh, admin server. We can strip it away so there is uh, less security issues probably. And it's uh, a little bit faster. This is what I would get. But, you know, the, uh, the, 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 it was like completely wrong perception. 
and uh, yeah. even in one project was interesting. So um, so I, I wrote like uh, a, how to call it a I was involved in a best practice or a template and 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 uh, and it, it was assumed it only runs in Payara Micro because it's a microservice framework and also I always tested with Payara Full. So there was like community perception like Payara Micro is you know the, the cloud edition. And the Payara Fool is like the old stuff from, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal of Payara Micro really was to take the Payara server runtime and actually make it so you don't have to install it, uh, make it so that you don't, you're not following a domain model, you're building independent services, servers that can uh, cluster together and discover each other, you know, uh, and make it so that you could do, you know, hollow jar and uber jar and just command line boot. So it's really the boot stuff that's different between PyR server and PyR micro. You know, there's no installation process. Mm-hmm. That, that that was a goal of it really was to build that non-domain model, uh, boot it differently, just provide it on the command line and, and make it simpler. This is what I actually want. Obviously, a DAS, multiple DAS is clustering together in Pyro Server has the same effect. Yeah. But um, what I already thought about is to, you know, to create a Pyro Micro S2i image because it would be easier to implement because uh, in Pyro Full, what I have to do is I either have to use, you know, as admin deploy command or I will have, you know, to, to fiddle around with uh, uh, post, uh, uh, post boot scripts. And with Pyra yeah. Micro, that is more explicit. So I can just say Java minus jar Pyra Micro, and then set the uh, the war, and uh, this is more explicit what happens, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's the main difference, really, is that it's just it's all the it's all the, it's all the boot and how you boot the server and how you deploy things is wrapped around uh, the same kernel, but it, it's just targeted a different use case. And from the uh, commercial support perspective, are both servers supported equally well, or do you have a preference, or is it the same license? Or... No, both are both. Are, they're all both included in in the support service. Mm-hmm. And how about uh, the development? Are you building, you know, Pyara full first, or is it a Pyara Micro branch, or is it uh, so? How the development happens? So how you in those... Pyara Micro is is, is really a, a respin of Pyara server. Okay. So the, the core development is done on Pyara server, mm-hmm. and Pyara Micro effectively is a repackaging of Pyara server components mm-hmm. into a into a single jar, along with uh, a wrapper about how that runtime gets booted, and and a wrapper that basically does a lot of the command line command line work. But other than that, it's it's the same kernel. That might change in the future as we go more and more towards, you know, uh, building a, a more of a, a framework that may that may support things other than hollow jars. You know, actually just be a flat class path type framework. Mm-hmm. But, but at the moment, the development is effectively Pyro Server first, and then Pyro Micro's respawn from it. So what you did technically, uh, just just as I'm curious, so there's this HK2 kernel, right, from the old kernel from Glassfish, is the module system, right? Yeah, that's right. And bugs, uh, yeah. what you did for Pyra Micro, I, I guess, is you just uh, re-implemented HK2 to be hard- hardwired? Is this what you did? No, so HK2 is for both of them. Okay. Uh, is the kernel for both. Underneath Pyra, you could, Pyra Server is OSGI, so OSGI discovers the jars and builds the class path in uh, mm-hmm. 
Pyora server. Pyora micro, the class path is just the normal class path. Yeah, so where HK2 can then discover services that are on the class path on both of them. So, oh, okay, so you have a Jenkins pipeline which uh, it sets the, the the class path statically in Pyra Micro, a script or yeah, basically Pyra Micro uses a class path which is your obviously your normal Java class path plus it loads all the jars from within itself. Yeah, uh, Pyra Server uses OSGI to set up the class path and load all the modules and all the jars up. Yeah, but you have that, that's probably the only difference. So you have to set the class path, or probably you wrote a script or whatever which which generates the class path, right? Yeah, there's a big boot. There's a big boot wrapper around Power Micro, which is all new Power Micro code, which does all the command line handling and the class path building and things like that. Mm -hmm. So now, um, what are you still exciting about? Excited about Jakarta in Micro Profile, or uh, what's what's your opinion on the current situation? Uh, I'm glad that it's that we can actually start moving forward. I would like to have moved forward maybe 18 months ago, uh, but now we can actually move move things forward in Jakarta EE, and then how I'm hoping that will get more exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been you know, 18 months of uh, long committee meetings, but not a lot of action. Yeah, mainly just because they work through legal details of the of the uh, donation. Yeah. Now that it's come to a conclusion. And uh, I'm excited to start moving it forward. I'm hoping that uh, people will join in the, you know, join in the actual task of evolving a lot of these APIs. Mm -hmm. My profile is still exciting. Uh, it, what will happen between the two is, I suppose, still to be decided. And actually, I don't really mind either way what happens. It can stay separate or join together. It doesn't really make much difference from our perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, so now the question is um, the Java X uh, Java X uh, namespace issue. Are you for you know clear cut or gradual migration? I think it. Well, I'm personally for uh, a clear cut migration from Java X to Jakarta. Yeah. So I'll explain why. I think the, which way you fall will depend on how many Java. JavaX APIs you believe need to evolve. Mm -hmm. So if you believe that they, a majority or a large majority need to change and evolve, then any evolution requires you to cut over to the Jakarta namespace. Mm -hmm. So if I, think, I think if you believe that a lot of those APIs need to evolve, then you believe that a big bang would be simpler just to take everything and move it. Yeah. If you're on the sort of fence where you think maybe only 20%, 30% need to evolve, then obviously leaving a lot of things that are never going to change on the JavaX namespace is less painful for third parties and the rest of the community out there. Because it's not just Java EE. I mean, it's all the other frameworks like Spring and everything that are also heavily affected. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah. I think it depends on where you how many you believe need to change on, and therefore how many are going to have to move to Jakarta. Whether you think that everything should move in one go, or things should just move bit by bit. I so think I'm, I'm on the everything should move in one go type. Yes. Camp. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm also absolutely for it, and um, I would move, move actually everything to the to the Jakarta namespace. And uh, one of the reasons also, of course, marketing, because you can say, you know, is Jakarta E9, whatever starts with Jakarta E or Jakarta is Jakarta and the old stuff is Java X. And uh, this is also a very, very clear message. Um, this is a gradual 
migration in my eyes would be terrible because we have old APIs with JavaX, the new with Jakarta, and this is uh, uh, really hard to and learn. You, I would argue. And you never, you never know which one's which. And yeah. This is. And, and, and if you suddenly decide that that one you didn't think needs to evolve does need to evolve, then it has to move and then break applications at that point. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm. I think if you if you go the incremental, you have to spend a lot of time in that analyzing what may or may not move, and that analysis probably just leads to another year of paralysis, really. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you just move it, no one has to move to you know the, the biggest thing point is no, no existing applications are currently going to break because they don't target Jakarta EE nine. Yeah, exactly. They target Jakarta E8, and if they never move, they never need to target Jakarta E9. They're not going to break, and the application servers are going to, you know, we're going to support the old namespace for many, many years because people will pay us to do it. Yeah. Uh, and and the new namespace, you know, I say is it's probably easier to know that everything's moved, and then all you got to do is change the namespaces on your apps and deploy them onto the new runtime. Yeah, and there are no 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 copyright issues left because it's complete uh, new start, and uh, then then we are just independent, right? Yeah, I was thinking long and hard about this because uh, you know backwards compatibility is one of the strengths of Java EE, but it's also one of the weaknesses in that you know we see a lot of applications where they're sort of half moved. People have moved them to Java EE eight mm -hmm. a bit because mm -hmm. they, but they don't actually know what the difference is between eight and seven. Yeah. or eight and six in, in any great depth. So actually, they're probably a hybrid of, of some eight, some seven, some six. And because the application servers do such a great job at supporting that, that they actually the developers, to some, some, some extent, done a disservice in that they, they, they should be moving their applications to the latest APIs. Absolutely. Uh, but they don't, they don't actually know what they are, and nothing breaks. So, you know, nothing happens, if you see what I mean. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And um, by the way, for 20 years, we were absolutely compatible. So I think it's absolutely okay, you know, every 20 years, you know, to break the compatibility. I think this is, you know, 20 years in software development is a, is a long time. Yeah, and, and I had quite like a profile in, in uh, Jakarta EE that is actually just purely, let's call it legacy free. So it's just the latest. doesn't support old ones. Yeah. Uh, so that you know, people can take their application and actually find out what is what they need to do to make it run on the latest runtimes. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, as a server seller of services around a server, right? I'm going to support backwards compatibility because that's what the market's going to want. Yeah. But it'd be good to have a profile where you can say you are compatible, but only compatible with the very latest release. And this is uh, this is my personal opinion. Why I think that a micro profile should be independent from Jakarta because uh, the Jakarta is for me is like more boring, stable, you know, base for application development. And MicroProfile is like more experimentation um, APIs, which some of them could even die. Like, for instance, this GraphQL could really die because who knows what, what happens next in, in, in JavaScript land, right? So uh, uh, keeping them separate lowers the risk that uh, some part of the Jakarta platform may become, you know, redundant uh, in later releases, right? Yeah, and I think we've got much more opportunity to do that within the Eclipse Foundation than was before. I mean, both the uh, the E for J project as well can create projects that aren't part of Jakarta EE. So if you wanted to mess around with, I don't know, an, an API for service meshes or something, then it's possible to do that within the Open Source Foundation, and that 
within the you know umbrella or branding of either micro profile or or e for j but then it then you know if it becomes successful and stable then it could be actually be formalized as part of the jakarta e platform yeah but so from, the, from the outside uh, view if you are a developer which has nothing to do uh, who has nothing to do um, with uh, let's say the java e or jakarta e or micro profile process so what you see is like you know two independent parts like jakarta e and the micro profile and the impression yep. is like, okay micro profile was faster and jakarta is a little bit slower and there are runtimes like payara which support both so and this is actually the and they are actually separated right now so in my maven pom there are two apis java e java 8 and micro profile to two i think api and um so this is a, a clear separation you know between both and so, so far i know is a micro profile you get four releases a year And uh, Jakarta yep. E will always move slower. So I think the separation, so uh, uh, and it's like a microservice uh, consideration almost. You know, in micro profile comes with four releases a year, and I think this cadence would be not very good for, for Jakarta E, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll get to any cadence anywhere close to that now. I think okay. it'll be maybe one or two, you know, one, maybe I'd like to see maybe one every, I don't know, somewhere between a year and two years. Okay. So now the question, uh, what is the country with uh, most en enthusiasm uh, towards Java and MicroProfile? So you're traveling around the world, you, you're, you're providing commercial support. So what, where is J Jakarta and MicroProfile uh, the most popular? I don't know about specific country, but regional, I would have said Europe is probably is most popular. Interesting. Okay. I would say it's quite a lot of, lot of uh, especially, you know, Uh, Central Europe, Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there's a lot of interest in Jakarta e micro profile. And what is the craziest Payara project you know about? It could be commercial or something interesting. Oh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? There are lots of crazy projects. Uh, I don't know. That's tricky. You stumped me on that one. Yeah, see? You can prov <laughs> provide... <laughs> We do it the next time, uh, on, on the next podcast edition. And what I know... I, I know. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I... I was a few years ago in Poland in a conference invite, and there was a workshop. And what they did is... I, I don't know whether they... Back then, this was before Payara, but they used Glassfish for uh, the uh, European Space Agency, and they created, like, satellite tracking system with a java e mesh or something like that and they attended the workshop so they, they need a scalable solution there was a satellite communication system all with java e but i have no idea whether they migrated to payara or not but this was at least a glassfish based yeah i know that i know there are some big science uh institutes that are using payara mm -hmm. on some of the accelerators and things like that i think in, in the uk i think they're using it in one of the science institutes okay so cool. Where people can find you on the internet? Uh, we're at Pyora.fish. Okay. It's quite easy to remember. Yeah. And uh, you are on Twitter as well? I'm on Twitter at LeetJava. LeetJava. Yeah, which is my uh, ironic uh, Twitter handle. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So thank you. And if you have time, we should speak again, you know, in half a year, one year. And uh, Yeah, it's always, a, it's always a pleasure. It's always to get... Good to hear your perspective on it as well. I know you sit with a lot of customers and a lot of people using it who aren't customers just to get, you know, we're always keen to understand how people use it 
in the real world and what people want. I mean, that's the way we're not VC funded, we're customer funded. So we're very keen on to, to build stuff into the server that is you know, meeting people's needs. Yeah. So we always encourage people, if they find something that you think is a complete pain in PR and just think, you know, why does it do this? Why doesn't it do that? Then then let us know and, we, and we, we'll make it that. Yeah, what what projects uh, really would like to have is really this is really hard to tell because what 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 the customers or the you know the sponsors would like to have is like uh, you know uh, easy to understand software and uh, and short development cycles so they would like to deliver fast. Um, yeah. What the architects would like to have is like you know as of the older architects is completely you know overbloated cargo cult architectures <laughs> which are no more <laughs> no more no more sensible and uh but this is uh this is a less and less project we get something like this then younger developers would like to have exciting projects and they are absolutely not interested in java e because it's too boring so everything works out of the box and seasoned developers they are the most interesting to me they just really would like to develop fast they don't care anymore you know about uh finding out what the best solution is they just they'll give me a solution and i go with it and what what's also interesting um i i'd say it over and over again because um but uh i think this and last year i i work more and more with startups and and they really like what they see with uh with um uh payara and uh and java and ex in the last projects we uh, we pushed payara to um, aks this is um asia kubernetes service and kubernetes service and it right. worked actually yeah. per perfectly and, yeah, we uh, didn't quite a lot of work to get it work. So yeah, it worked out of the box. So what you did, we just said, you no, know, it pushed the Payara full to a private registry, and then with yeah. AKS, it just uh, yeah, this was no no issue at all actually. And uh, it also works in GCP and 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 AWS. So this is what I do a lot with startups. And what I also see what happens is you know the um, back from public clouds to private clouds where more and more clients uh, are starting um, with OpenShift or even Kubernetes. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in Because it's cheaper and, and more predictable. So we get to know the cloud stack in-house back. So what I mm. what I never got, uh, why you should push, you know, buy public clouds because uh, you, if you have, have the same infrastructure in-house, um, who cares about public clouds? And uh, some are doing this already. So they are, you know, migrating back from public to private. But the pro programming model is the same. And what I also see more and more, so now it, <laughs> developers find out that you know, OpenShift is actually Kubernetes, so they can develop, yeah, yeah, develop yeah. locally and then push to whatever client they like. Uh, and, and this is also an interesting trend. So when you're seeing Kubernetes or OpenShift deployed into organizations, are they deploying it as a single solution organization-wide, or are you seeing the sort of anti-pattern of a Kubernetes cluster per application? in the old application server type model. So um, what what I see a lot is uh, one Kubernetes cluster is like uh, a stage. And within the cluster, you have uh, namespaces or projects. And right. this, um, yeah. So they are building like one big Kubernetes infrastructure. Because I've, I've heard some people saying that people are doing anti-patterns of this. And, you know, oh, I have our application. I'll create a Kubernetes cluster for my, for my application. And not for the application, for the organization. So uh, yeah, for the, that's what I mean. So it is organization wide, and they're deploying it as a as an infrastructure like that. Yeah, but uh, this yeah. is like you know, uh, this is the larger clients already have the OpenShift infrastructure yeah, yeah. in place, and in the smaller startups, this is what we can do. And if I have the influence, what we do is we have one, uh, let's say, one namespace or one cluster for 
death and, and integration or experimentation, and then one cluster separated is for, uh, for production. And um, sometimes we'd even do, um, sometimes uh, in one project, we installed OpenShift on Amazon. So we used, uh, we tweaked it a little bit, and it runs actually OpenShift on EC2. Uh, you, can, you can do it with one click. And, um, and uh, yeah, so you get the, the, this is what I see in the wild. Okay. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. So thank you, and see you well, in the future. You. Yep. Anytime. Bye. Thanks. Bye.